This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey, everyone. We're pumped to be able to share an exclusive trailer with you after the show. From Blue Wire Studios comes Golden Goal, stories of soccer legends. Each Monday, two new episodes will take a look into some of soccer's biggest stars and the moments that define their careers, all narrated by Brandon Kelly, the host of Blue Wire's Always Cheating podcast. From Holland, Zlatan, Messi, Rapino, and many more, each episode will focus on historical plays and personalities that make the sport great. So stay tuned after this episode and check out Golden Goal, stories of soccer legends, wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome, everyone, to Prospects 101, the show where we break down football prospects on all levels, high school, college transfers, college recruiting, and NFL prospects. As always, Prospects 101 is brought to you by our great partners and big supporters of the show, Blue Wire Pods and Bet Online. Remember, you can interact with Prospects 101 on all social medias, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at Prospects 101 Pod. I'm Kenny Keller, and I'm joined by Brandon Pastel. AAC football. I am jacked up today to talk about some ACC football, man. It's it should be a power six. Like they should be a power six, not G five anymore. Ah, <laughs> uh, I, I don't know. I think they're uh, they're like a G five and a half. I don't think they're quite on the P five level. P five level, but they're definitely better than the other G the other G five programs as well. So I think they're kind of just that they were they are what they are. They're they're that G five and a half. Yep. And. You might be asking yourselves, hey, don't you guys normally have a co-host, Brandon Glessner? Where's he at? Well, funny enough, we got to give a big shout-out and a big congratulations to our co-host for getting engaged yesterday. Yeah, so if you were wondering like, why I did the show by myself the other day and why maybe Glessner's been out of the loop a little bit, this is why. A lot of preparation went into this, and I wasn't there. I, I FaceTimed him. It sounds like everything went pretty flawlessly besides mm-hmm. the photographer. We're supposedly, supposedly almost late, like almost didn't make it to when he was going to propose, how epic would that have been? <laughs> no one took photos of this, and he thought maybe she was in the bush or something. <laughs> that would have been hilarious. He's like doing these. They're like he's like doing these poses and stuff, and he's smiling, <laughs> and like and like and like giving like these candid camera moments, and there's nobody taking cameras, nobody taking pictures. <laughs> that would totally be his luck. Uh, it was fun though, no. man. I was down there yesterday, and uh, obviously nobody saw really the proposal because they did, he did it on his own. But we were down there celebrating afterwards. Went out to a couple breweries in Richmond and an urban winery, and it was nice, man. It was a really good time. So it was hot though, Brennan. For 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 Pastel, if you ever get engaged, it better be in the spring or fall because July, it, it, when it's a hundred degrees, is not awesome standing outside at a brewery. I gotta say. 
<laughs> I'll keep that in mind, man. Yeah, keep that in mind. everybody was sweating like crazy. It was nuts. So, but no, it was a good time. I, I'm, I gave Gless a little hard time about that yesterday, but it was a great time. And it was fun. So congrats to Gless and Caitlin. Uh, you know, we look forward to the wedding that will be soon to follow. And if you have also been following the show, you've also noticed that we're in the middle of our you know, Power 5 and G5 previews leading up to what would have been week zero of the season. Obviously, we know that the season got pushed back a little bit, and it's going to be only conference games. So we're not going to quite follow in the week zero, but still, the conference pre- previews roll on. The train keeps running. And today, as Brandon mentioned, we are in the AAC, the American Athletic Conference. And it's a conference that is very deep. It is, it is, is not quite of G5 program because they're too talented to be a G5 program, but they're not quite talented enough and deep enough, in my opinion, to be a P5 program and really have auto bids to playoffs and stuff like that. Um, but that being said, you know, there's definitely top 15 programs in this conference. Now they might not all be top 15 programs at once. You know, obviously last year, Cincinnati was a top 15-ish program, top 20-ish program. Memphis, you could make that case, was a top 15, top 20-ish program. Obviously, UCF a couple of years ago was a top 15 program. So they're champs. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, according to some national champs. I'm not even going to go into that because it's just ridiculous. Um, But – but, yeah, so this conference, it, it, this is essentially the old Big East minus Miami, Pittsburgh, Syracuse, and um, Virginia Tech. Like, that's what, that's what this is. This is the old Big East, essentially, and, and, you know, they play good football here. I think the conference is deep. You've got plenty of teams that could win the conference this year. You've got UCF. You've got Memphis. You've got Cincinnati. You've got SMU. You've got teams like Houston who, who spin like P5 programs. You've got teams like ECU have someone like a quarterback like, like Holton Ehlers who could absolutely be a dynamic playmaker. Um, you've got Navy, who's one of the top service academies. This has been the top service academy for the last 20 years. Um, so there's a lot, a lot of talent. Temple always has a really good program. It, it's just, it's a really, really good conference that seems to be peaking at the moment because this is the year where like every team seems to be bringing back a lot of talent and a lot of promise and wants to really make a run for a New Year's Six Bowl. So with that being said, that's kind of the state of the conference. Brandon, I want to transition to you. I want you to I want you to make a case. This is our this is our, our opening argument, if you will. <laughs> and I want you to make a case, 60 seconds, for every team that you think can win the ACC, starting now. Okay, so you want me to lawyer up, huh? You want me to go to a pastel, pastel, pastel firm and uh, have a – okay, so I, got, I have a few clients I guess I could represent here. First one being UCF. Uh, UCF, they were 10-3 and three last year. Josh uh, Heupel is at his third year. He's 22 and four overall. Now, he hasn't gotten back to that national championship type of level that, you know, Scott Frost had them at, was it, three years ago. But, hey, this, this team is dynamic. They're explosive. Outside of LSU last year, they averaged the most yards in the country per game at 541 yards per game. So, I mean, and they were fifth in the, in the country with points, 43.4 points. So this is a very explosive offense. By the way, Kenny, that was with a true freshman quarterback. Mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, oh, shoot. Dylan Gabriel. Yes, Dylan Gabriel from Nilalani High School in Hawaii, the same high school that the previous quarterback um, 
Mackenzie Milton. Yeah, Mackenzie, uh, was it Milton? Yep. Uh, came from. So they both came from the same high school in Hawaii, and they followed each other to UCF. So, I mean, this guy's been coming to in his sophomore year. You could argue he had better stats than uh, Keaton Slovis last, last year. 3,600 yards passing, 29 TDs, and only seven picks. They got Trey Nixon coming back, averaged like 17 yards per catch. They have 16 total starters, eight on offense, eight on defense, three starting line, uh, offensive linemen coming back to give the protection that uh, Gabriel needs. And then they have 11 other top 12 tacklers and probably the best defensive back in the AAC in, uh, in Richie Grant. I mean, this guy's going to be a day two pick at least next year. So, I mean, you have all that talent come back. You have an experienced, now experienced, a true sophomore quarterback that exploded onto the scene. Mm-hmm. Last year, arguably has the best freshman stats out of any freshman quarterback last year. Mm-hmm. And then now you probably have a backup in McKenzie Milton. I mean, I'm not saying he's going to be back, but all indications that is he, he will play again. Maybe not to the same level, not saying that. But you have that type of coaching, you know, like as a football player to help out Gabriel, if not be a decent backup for them. And you have, you have 16 starters coming back. I mean, that team is going to be dynamic. And they were 10-3 and three last year. And I want to say they only lost the big – yeah, they lost all three games last year by three points or less. Mm-hmm. They were that close from being 13-0 and 0 last year. So, UCF, they're going to win the AAC. That's my case for them. Yeah, I mean, they're – I think they've got to be the betting favorite. They've had really good recruiting classes, uh, especially compared to the rest of the AAC the last couple of years. They've got a ton of talent. Uh, Dylan Gabriel is special. So I, it's hard to argue that, that they're not the favorite. Who else would you make a case for, Brandon? Yeah, I was going to say, objection, objection. I was going to say my next client, though. Why, how can you disregard the defending champs in Memphis? And Ryan Silver, so Ryan Silverfield's coming in his first year. But let's talk about it. Memphis has gone through two or three coaching changes in the last four years anyway. So it's not like the coaching is really ascending them to the top anyway. It's like this is now an established football program that went 12-2 and last year, went in the AAC. They probably had the best quarterback coming back, like, you know, with experience. I think he's a fifth-year senior. Brady White threw for over 4,000 yards and 33 TDs last year with only 11 picks. He's got – so, yes, they lost Antonio Gibson, but he's got – Demonte Coxey coming back, which is a phenomenal player that caught 76 passes last year mm-hmm. for over 1,250 yards. He's coming back. And then not to mention probably the most explosive and dynamic player, not only in the AAC, but some people will say one of the best in the country, and that's Kenneth Gainwell, the, uh, the running back for Memphis. He's one of the best do-it-all running backs in the nation. He had close to 1,500 yards rushing, 13 TDs. He had 51 passes that he caught for over 600 yards and three more TDs. So that offense is going to be more explosive and experienced than ever. Then you have guys like uh, Joseph Dorcas on the defensive end, who, he, yeah, he's a little undersized for like NFL caliber players. He's six foot two sixty, but as far as production on the college football level, five sacks, 14.5 tackles for losses as a junior. He had 50 tackles, six sacks as a sophomore. So you know he's going to come and bring his hard hat every day to work. He's going to make that defense even more explosive. I know a lot of people like T.J. Carter on the back end as a cornerback. I know pro football focus thinks he's like a, the fifth overall mm-hmm. best cornerback in college mm-hmm. football. Now, I wouldn't go there, but he's still a dynamic player uh, for that defense, for the AAC, and watch him be in the running for, you know, all Pac-12 – or sorry, all Pac-12, all AAC uh, defensive player of the year if he can get a few more INTs to lock down that, uh, that, uh, that defense. Fun little stat. They had 33 TDs last year passing, and their opponents only had 15. They had wow. twice as many passing TDs as allowed than what that defense gave up. So watch out for Memphis mm-hmm. not losing a, any step with a new coach this year. Yeah, I, I, 
I think they're they're up there. I don't think they're quite on UCF's level. Um, I am a little concerned with Ryan Civilfield taking over. Not that I think he's a bad coach, and he's going to be able to bring some program continuity uh, with you know him being an assistant head coach, offensive line coach last year. But I do I am a little concerned with Mike Norvell leaving. Mike Norvell really elevated that program. I think it's a little unfair to say that it's not coaching. Because I think Fuente did well there, but Mike Norvell really took it to a whole nother level. And he was known as an offensive guru coming into taking over at Memphis. It wasn't program continuity with him. He, he, was a, he came over from being Arizona State's OC at 34 years old. And in the last four years, transitioned Memphis into probably the top offense in the country. Um, so I, I do expect there to be a little bit of, Drop off. I don't think you lose someone like Mor- Norvell and a majority of his staff, who is now over at Florida State, other than Silverfield. I, I just don't think you lose a guy like that and a lot of the offensive talent around him like that and not take a step back. So uh, I, I'm going to object on that one. I think I, I would still go with UCF. Brandon, who would be a next candidate for you? I'm going to need a continuance for this, man. I need some time to think about what you just said, because that's a crying shame. But if I had to go to my next team already, how about the Cincinnati Bearcats, who arguably has the most experience? They didn't lose any coaching staff. Like, they have the most continuity coming back. From a coaching staff standpoint, Luke Fickle obviously coming into his fourth year. He's mm-hmm. 26-13 and 13 overall. He's 11-3 last year. Uh, that defense was, a, was phenomenal. They've got their quarterback, Desmond uh, Ritter, coming back his third year. Really that dual-threat type of player. Uh, he rushed for over 650 mm-hmm. yards last year. Mm-hmm. They have tons and tons of transfers, man. Like, I think we all knew this was going to happen with Cincinnati because they hit his connections with Ohio State. But he had two wide receivers from Ohio State come. They got a running back from Alabama, um, Jerome Ford, who was a highly touted prospect to Alabama. They got him coming over to replace Michael Warren at running back. They also have returning running back Jared – or. Um, Garrett Dokes, who rushed for over 500 yards last year. Mm-hmm. They have Notre Dame wide receiver transfer, Michael Young coming over. So they're having some big-time players returning and coming from other schools. Uh, even Michigan State, they have a, a tight end that, from Michigan State, Noah Davis, who's a big-time prospect. He's coming over to, you know, fill that gap that uh, DeGora, the guy that got drafted by the Packers last mm-hmm. year. Mm-hmm. Um, so whatever they lost on offense, they're gaining from other prospects from other schools. And then you got, like I said, the experience of Desmond Ritter coming back. And that, so I'm talking about the weakest part of their team. That was their offense, which is still a very dynamic offense. But this defense has 10 returning players coming back and probably the best secondary, overall secondary in the AAC. When you have guys like James Wiggins, Derek Forrest, Kobe Bryant, and Ahmad Gardner, who Ahmad Gardner, by the way, was a true freshman last year. He's a true sophomore this year. He's probably one of the best cornerbacks in the nation at least as a sophomore, like we'll hear he's not going to last past his junior year. No, there's, there's no way. He's just too way dynamic of a cornerback in college football. So Cincinnati, I guess really from a continuity standpoint, they're not losing really much on that mm-hmm. team. They, they gained their whole defense back, and Luke Fickle has to be – and talk about a year with no offseason. I think a team like this where everyone's coming back for the most part, the coaching, the philosophies are staying and put, there's not much that you have to really – change in the offseason. So they're just going to keep building off of last year, which they were 11 and three. So, and they lost two of those games to the Memphis. Mm-hmm. So I mm-hmm. think they have the chance to be the best team in the AAC, just purely from continuity standpoint. And that quarterback is getting another year under his belt. Yeah. I, I'm concerned with Desmond Ritter. I'm not sold on him that much. I'd like to see him step up his game. And I think he's ultimately going to be the biggest factor. All those guys you named were, 
awesome, and I'm sure they're great additions and great guys coming back for the program. But I think he's the X factor for this team. I mean, you know, I think they went 11-3 and three last year in spite of him. I mean, he had 55% completion percentage. He had a 2-to-1 interception, touchdown-to-interception ratio. He only averaged 6.5 yards uh, in attempt in throwing the football. Like, he was very, 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 very marginal throwing the football last year. And, and, and that concerns me. And I know he's a quote-unquote dual-threat guy, but he only averaged 4.5 yards a carry last year as a running quarterback. Like, that's not a lot. Most of the time you see those guys with, like, six, seven, eight yards per carry from the quarterback position because they get the benefit of being able to see lanes that they get to run through when they drop back or, or you know, they have designed quarterback runs. I think he's mobile, but I don't know if he's necessarily a true dual threat. And I'd like to see him pick up his, his passing numbers. I think if he has another year like he had last year, um, I, and, and I think he's going to have to in, improve greatly, uh, to be honest, man. I don't think a, another season under 60% completion percentage and 18 touchdowns and nine interceptions is going to cut it. Like, I just don't. I think that will, I think that alone would keep them out from winning the winning it again, because I do well, think, I think, I, I think UCF and I think SMU are better this year than they were last year. Yeah. Well, I will say the the Bearcats are a different team in the AAC than most of these other teams. Like I, these other teams that I just mentioned, I can throw out, hey, 4,000 yards, 38 TDs, six picks. Like, let's just understand the Bearcats, they bring that Big Ten mentality. Like, they control the ball on mm-hmm. offense, and then they will stop you on defense. And they did that last year, and they're returning their entire defense. Like, that defense is going to be a top ten, top ten defense. So what happens when you're playing SMU and you're playing UCF and Memphis and you slow down that high-power offense, they're not going to know what to do when the Cincinnati Bearcats have the ball for more than – Three, three quarters of the game. You know what I mean? Like they're just going to control the football. That team rushed for over 2,000 yards last year. Now, I know they lost Michael Warren, who's a phenomenal player. Don't get me wrong, but it's not like he was a top-end running back talent. Like I think that's more of a system, not the player, to the extent. So I don't see much changing. And while I do agree with Ritter, Ritter being he needs to be a little bit more efficient with the ball and make a little bit more explosive plays, they did all that last year with that play. And if he only gets better, I can only imagine that team getting better. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I, I just – I find I don't know I just I have trouble looking at some of their games last year like you know they won one two three four one score game they're four zero and one score games last year that normally doesn't happen on a year to year basis like it's it's very hard to expect that the next year too so I don't know I'm not completely sold Desmond Ritter's got to sell me if he if Desmond Ritter steps up and becomes a, the next great quarterback at Cincinnati like they've had in the past, then I absolutely buy in. But right now, I, I don't. Okay, so if, if I won't sell you on him, how about I sell you on a guy named Shane Bouchelle? How about that, Kenny? Yes. Probably the best quarterback now in the AAC. Yes, 100%. Talk about, <laughs> I, mean, I think he is going to probably be uh, all AAC preseason you know, first-team quarterback. I mean, we're talking about a team that, first of all, they were 8-0 and last year. They started out 8-0. and I think they were 14th or 15th in the nation. Um, before they lost and they finished 10 and three, but that team was extremely dangerous on offense. And they're pretty much bringing really everyone back besides a receiver that got drafted, I think by the Ravens last year. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're going to Sunny Dykes' third year. They're 15 and 11 overall. The, here's the big thing too, is they play Cincinnati and Memphis at home this year, which helps when you're playing nothing but conference games. Most likely is the, is like the trend that seems like every conference is going to. So playing the two biggest conference games at home helps. Now, think about this. They went from 3,200 yards passing and 28 TDs in 2019 to getting Shane Bouchelle, that offense, 
to where last year they they passed for over 4,000 yards and 35 TDs. Like, mm-hmm. unbelievable, right? And that's missing Reggie Roberson for most of the year last year. So Reggie Roberson is coming back, probably the most dynamic offensive weapon that they have on, on the ends, even though I think some people would argue with me saying their tight end, Kylan Granson, might be their most explosive player. I mean, that guy had 43 uh, catches last year for over 700 yards and nine TDs as a, as a tight, tight end. And if you go back and watch his game tape, I don't know how I've missed him before, Kenny. Like, this guy's a playmaker as a tight end. Mm-hmm. Um, absolutely, like, can track the ball and torque his body in different ways that a tight end you don't see doing at the next level. So you got all these weapons coming back. You have four starters on the offensive line uh, coming back. So that offense, no question about it. The defense, here's a fun stat, man. They were second in the nation last year in sacks. Second in wow. the nation. Unfortunately, they gave up every big play after a sack. <laughs> like, I mean, their defense, has, it was like Swiss cheese once you got past the, the pass rush that they had, and that's why they started to lose those games at the end. Um, but they, they, returned some, they returned quite a few players, like uh, Turner Cokes, uh, Trevor Dimbo at the safety, and Delana Robertson, the linebacker. So mm-hmm. I think they've got a few returning players. Let's just be honest, man. SMU's offense is going to be offense, or awesome. Their defense is going to be questionable, but the question is, can their offense ride them to a championship, and can their defense be good enough? Can they stop giving up the big plays that they did so much last year? Uh, and that's against the run, too. Like, Navy kind of tore them up a little bit, too, not just from a passing standpoint. But SMU, watch out for them next year. Yeah, Shane Buscelli is the best quarterback in the AAC. You know, he he competed with um, – the, to win the starting job at, at Texas and obviously lost and then transferred to SMU and has done nothing but just tear it up at SMU since he's been there. And Roberson and, Gra- and Gragson are, or Granson are two of the best offensive players at, at the skill at the receiver skill position at tight end and wide receiver. And, you know, Jack Borowski, the guy we interviewed a couple, uh, probably about two months ago now on under the radar prospects talked at length about both of them and was really, really, really high on there. So if you haven't listened to that interview, go back uh, to around April and check that out because he does mention uh, Reggie Roberson in full detail. We do talk about um, Grant's in a, a decent amount too, but this offense really impresses me. You know, they – they went 10-3 and three last year, and they lost two heartbreakers to Memphis and Navy. They were two one-score games. They went 0-2 in one-score games. Uh, sorry, 1-2. You know, that's, that's going to happen. But, you know, if the ball bounces their way in the Memphis game, then they're in the AAC championship versus Memphis because it was right there at the end of the season. I think this team is is poised for a really really big breakout year. You know, this was their really their second year under Dykes, and now they've had some great grad transfers come in. They've had great recruiting classes. You know, they're they're absolutely doing things at the G five level in terms of recruiting out of Dallas that hasn't been done in a long 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 time. Like they're hitting on multiple four star recruits. Like this team is deep. This team is deep. They're dangerous. They can score from anywhere on the field. I think their defense is good enough to stop the other team's offense at least a couple times now this season with what they're returning and what they're bringing into the fold that they don't necessarily have to play the best defense. I do think, in my opinion, outside of UCF, this is the team that is most talented top to bottom on the roster, and I think it's probably my pick, to be honest, because of Shane Buscelli, to win the entire AAC. Man, that was intense, man. I think the jury is still out. I think people are underrating UCF. 
So after I say all that, now it comes like Pastel's actual 100% opinion is I think UCF is going to be a team on the reckon this year, man. Like Dylan Gabriel last year, he started out. I mean, yeah, stats are awesome. And you look at it, he struggled at first. Like he was throwing passes that I'm like, dude, I could probably throw better. Like he was just wasn't, he was getting rattled in the pocket and he was just making just completely overthrowing or underthrowing his receivers. The transition from like game four or five to what he ended up as. Like, the way he seasons himself his freshman year, I think that offense is going to be explosive and arguably a defense that's going to be on the play of Cincinnati as well with, you know, Richie Grant really leading it. So I think if I had to pick a team wholeheartedly, it's going to be UCF next year. There you go. I say SMU. Pastel says UCF. What do the fans say? Make sure you leave us a comment on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram and let us know at Prospects101Pod. Sports are coming back, and so are your chances to bet on your favorite teams and events. And there's no better place to start than our exclusive partners, Bet Online. Get in on the action for this week's big UFC fight or check out odds on NASCAR, Formula One, and the Premier League. Can't wait for your team to come back? Bet Online has futures odds, including win totals, division winners, and even league championships. Check out daily simulations of Madden and NBA 2K to watch and wager on. Visit betonline.ag and use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your new welcome bonus. That's promo code BLUEWIRE. BetOnline, your online wagering experts. Switching to the biggest storylines of the offseason, you know, these are kind of three that I came up with that I thought were very interesting. Uh, one storyline is, can Dana Holgerson awake a sleeping giant in Houston? And I say that because we didn't mention Houston in our opening, um, in our opening argument here. And that's crazy to me because Houston spins like a P5 program. They, I mean, they've got a billionaire donor. Uh, they've got a brand-new stadium. They, Dana Holgerson's the highest-paid G5 head coach in the country. Like, obviously, last year was the first year. I'm willing to throw it out. Things happen. You had a quarterback who quit on the team. You had uh, a bunch of transfer issues with the four, and redshirt stuff, shenanigans going on with the four game rule last year you know it, it is what it is I, I'm willing to let bygones be bygones but can Dana Dana make inroads and turn Houston into the program that Fertitta thinks that they are that he's been investing in these this past decade because remember they said you get fired for winning nine games at Houston that was their state that was the that was the AD statement a couple of years ago when they fired Major Applewhite so Houston expects to win. Can Dana be the guy to turn them around? And he's going to have an ample opportunity because it's not like they're going to fire him. He's got a massive buyout. This isn't like they're not going to fire him after this season if he doesn't go bowling because I think he's owed like $20 million buyout after this season. So that, that's, that's a question I had. I think that's a big storyline. I think another big storyline is will Luke Fickle, will this be his last season in Cincinnati? I don't think so unless he gets a prime Big Ten job. Uh, anything outside of that, I, there's been a lot of rumors about he could possibly go to USC or another major P5 program in another conference. I don't think so. He's he's a he's an Ohio guy, and obviously he's not ever going to get to Ohio State with the way Ryan Day is recruiting and winning and what he's been able to do since taking over for Urban. Um, but I do see him being able to take over maybe a Michigan program in a couple years, or maybe James Franklin leaves Penn State and goes takes you at the USC position and he takes over at Penn State so unless something big opens up in the Big Ten or maybe Notre Dame like say Brian Kelly decides he finally wants to 
test the pro the pro water and he goes and takes over an NFL program, then I could see it. You know that that upper that that upper Midwest program kind of area. But outside of that, I think he stays in Cincinnati. I think he's building something special. They have currently the top recruiting class or one of the top recruiting classes at the G5, and they've been that way, and he's building up a really elite program in there in Cincinnati. And I think it's somewhere that he actually wants to be. Like, I think he's very, very comfortable there because that's home. That's home to him. And the last storyline that I thought was pretty interesting is, can Holton Ehlers provide enough offense for ECU to be – the upset special in the AAC this year because I think ECU could be a very, very, very dangerous team because Holden Ehlers might be the most underrated player in the entire conference. He's a dynamic quarterback. He's only gotten better every year. He's two years starting at ECU. He's about to enter his third year. Mike Houston is in his second year as the head coach at ECU. They're they're expected to be a little bit better than they were last year. They were a four-win team. I think this is a dangerous team that could do a lot of damage to one of the teams we mentioned earlier in our opening argument and and knock them out of the AAC championship by be, by being upset. Any given Saturday, things happen, and Holden Ehlers is someone that these teams, especially in the upper echelon of the AAC, should not take for granted. So those are the three I had. Pastel, did you have any, any, um, yeah, any yeah. storylines hey. that caught your eye this year? It, well, one quick take on Dana Holgerson, sleeping a waking giant. So, by the way, they were obviously they only won four games last year. But do you know who their backup quarterback is? It's his son, Logan <laughs> Holgerson. So, so he's probably going to take the reins, if not this year, next year. But he's going to ride or die, most likely, on his son's shoulder, nice. whether he keeps his, jobs after, his job after three or four years. It's going to be really interesting to watch how that dynamic plays out. But my biggest storyline is UConn left. Like, UConn is out of the AAC. They're back. Now, with in the independence for football, I think the Big East for basketball. So who's going to take their spot? Because right now, there's no East, West, South, or North in the AAC. It's just one big conference, mm-hmm. and the top two teams will play in the AAC championship based off record. Now, until they get that 12 team, who's that 12 team going to be? Well, that's, so, how, that's, that's how it was last year, too. That's how they do. They don't have an East or West. It's just 12 teams. That's how they did it last year, too. Okay, so my question now is who's going to be that? Because someone's going to fill that gap eventually, but they're going to be probably picky, and they can be because they're the AAC. They're that G5.5, like we mentioned earlier. So three teams I wanted to mention real quick, I think, are on the rise. Um, and probably a fourth, actually, now I just kind of think about it. But Liberty, I think with Hugh Freeze down there, I think there's now like a new dedication to football. That stadium has recently uh, gone, undergone like a big renovation for the most part. It now seats close to 25,000 people, which is what I think you need if you're going to play in the AAC. And there's a lot of plans to have more additions. I think another team is BYU. Um, the only reason I think it will be football only is because they have the, you know, can't play on Sunday's rule at, mm-hmm. on BYU. So mm-hmm. it would probably just be a football move only to the AAC, which I think would be good for them. At the same time, I know they like being independent so they can control their own TV deals. Um, and really just the financial impact with all that. But I think they would be a good team to join the AAC. Another little outlier, actually, now the one I just thought about was ODU. I think ODU might be a good team that they need to look at in the future because they, while they might have sucked the last few years, they put a whole new dedication to their facilities. Uh, their recruiting has been a little bit better. I think they could be a team on the rise. And then, obviously, I'm going to give my little tidbit for JMU. Um, call me a homer, but I think eventually they're an, F, they're an FBS team playing at the FCS level, and there's only two teams at the FCS level, and that's North Dakota State and JMU question is when will those two teams decide to move up if they ever decide to 
And I think JMU's in a good position because, one, they've won two national championships. they got that championship pedigree. They've got a brand-new stadium with the ability to expand upon it. They have a very strong overall athletic program. I mean, their women's lacrosse two years ago won the national championship. Their men's soccer was in the Elite Eight two years ago. Their softball team year in, year out is in the Super Regionals, and it was only outs away from making the World Series two years ago. So, like, their softball team is really good. And then their basketball team sucks, but their their stadium has is undergoing a huge renovation to make it one of the most premier uh, stadiums in the East Coast for the most part, or in all FCS or all FES basketball. It's a beautiful stadium. They just got now, and that hopefully that attracts recruits. But JMU's uh, overall, from an overall, I guess, athletic standpoint, I think they're in good position. From a football standpoint alone, I think it would be a good team for the AAC. They'd be at the bottom end. I mean, shoot, they just beat SMU a couple years ago. So, I mean, they've already beat the AAC schools. They wouldn't compete with Cincinnati or these teams right away, but I think once you got them in there and then you can start selling that as a recruiting tool, I think, Jam, you eventually could compete at the AAC level in five or six years from now. Yeah, I think it'll be interesting because we know conference realignment is a couple of years down the road. Um, I think a lot of the conference – contracts expire or up for renegotiation in like two or three years. And you know Houston wants to be a P5 program. They, like we mentioned earlier, they spend like a P5 program. So I don't know if Houston is long for the AAC. I think eventually they're going to hop in the Big 12, which is going to be interesting because then does SMU get put in there as well and just really have the entire state of Texas um, – in the big 12 and really become a Texas conference because that's what, that's what, that's what, if I'm looking at expanding my conference, I'm looking at two things. I'm looking at, if I'm the AC, I'm looking at, are there colleges in, in recruiting hotbeds? So you look at someone like Louisiana tech, who's, you know, Louisiana is obviously a big place to recruit from or FAU, which is a big place to recruit from or Fresno state, which is a, you know, we got California, Florida, like California, Texas, Florida, Louisiana, Virginia, Ohio. Those are kind of like the preeminent spots, you know, Oklahoma, that you're going to be recruiting from. And they're pretty much going to make up a majority of the top 10 for high school recruiting. So you either got to look at that or you got to look at programs who are just spending money, which I think you did a good job at highlighting Liberty and JMU. Although I really hope it's not Liberty because I think Hugh Freeze is just, he's a terrible dude. Uh, I, I, I'll never root for Liberty. He's a He's a joke. Um, so I would, I, I kind of hope they get to stay independent. Uh, I'd like to see JMU bump up. I think it'd be an interesting case study, and it'd be really interesting to see how far of a competition gap and how much of a of a money gap there is in the FCS, or, or I should say the FCS. I should say the top of the FCS, like North Dakota State, like JMU, versus. You know, a program that's not quite – a conference that's not quite P5 but has a lot of teams that spend, like, lower-tier P5 programs. So I, it would be a very interesting case study to see JMU hop in and see, A, if they could be competitive, B, if if what we think they spend is actually a big deal or if it's just a big deal because they're in the FCS. So I would really like to see that. But I think you got to – those are the two questions you got to ask yourself. Is this school in a recruiting hotbed area? And or, and or are they spending tons of money on the program? If it's neither of one of those, then I don't think you should be. Cons- I don't think the AAC should even consider them. But so I think you bring up some good points, Brandon. Maybe you bring up some very good schools. Now, pivoting over to you know expectations and you know 
we talked about Houston, who we talked if Dana can really bring the program back. We talked a lot about the upper echelon teams in the AAC in our opening argument. And then I mentioned ECU and Holden Aylers kind of as an up-and-coming team. Who do you think is the team this year that has the most to prove to the AAC? Yeah, I'll tell you what, and this is going to come by to surprise to, to a few people, but I think it's Navy. And you're probably thinking, like, pass out. They, uh, they were 11-2 last year. Like, how can you say 11-2 and, and a 7-1 and team in the AAC has a bunch to prove? But think about it, man. So, like, they were 3-10 and 10 the year before. And I know they had some players on that team, but, dude, Malcolm Perry, that quarterback, you could argue was a top three player, like Heisman-worthy mm-hmm. player that mm-hmm. just happened to play for Navy. But he rushed for over 2,000 yards. I think he rushed for, like, the most rushing yards ever for a quarterback, actually. I don't have that stat in front of me, but he's up there if he isn't. Like, there's a reason why he got drafted in the NFL uh, and he played quarterback in the option offense, right? Mm-hmm. So Super I think the most approved is you take that player out. You take a Lamar Jackson type of player out of the offense. And I want to know what Navy actually has because we've seen it year in, year out. Again, the, the Lamar Jackson example, you take the most dynamic player on your team, if not in the country, out of that team, and what is that team anymore? Um, and so my question is, Navy going to be go back to a 3-10 and 10 team? So I think they had the most – to prove just because, I mean, Ivan Jasper, you lose your best weapon on offense. I'm curious to see if you can replace that. And then they also lost a few players, by the way, the transfer portal, which I was mm-hmm. actually kind of shocked seeing the transfer portal on an academy. Because usually when you're your sophomore, junior year, um, you're kind of all in on the, the service academy. Like you're, it's that way of life that you want to go be an officer in the military, serve your time. Yeah. And, but I guess, I guess these players thought they had a really shot at the NFL and they thought they could probably be developed at other schools because these are stud people on defense that they lost to the transfer portal. So I say it all that saying they do have seven players on offense and eight or six players on defense returning. So there's no question that maybe if they lose anything less than eight games next year, then I, I don't know, man. I, I, just, I, need, I need them to prove it to me, man. Yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting. I think you look at the historicals for uh, Coach Niatamalomo uh, at, at Navy. I, I – you know, he's been there 12 years. He's averaged 8.16 wins a, a year. So, you know, they're pretty much 8-4 and four every year. They went 11-2 and two last year and 3-10 and 10 the year before. But then, you know, the couple years prior, 7-6, 9-5, 11-2, 8-5, 9-4, 8-5. So I, I think it wouldn't be out of the realm of possibility to see them as an 8-9 win team this year. I, I, I think that 3-10 and 10 was more of an outlier. I think they had some injuries. And you know how – you saw it with Army last year. Army Army had one of the top returning defenses in the country last year, and it just got absolutely demolished by injuries on both sides of the football. And unfortunately, with the service academies, if you have injuries, I mean, that's it's hard enough to compete as a service academy as it is because yeah. physically you're just not there. Even in the G5, you're just not there. That's why they run the wishbone offenses because they need to do something that's so dramatically different that they can, it, it can be an equalizer, and, and they do a phenomenal job at it. So, yeah, I think they have a lot to prove, but I also wouldn't consider it – I wouldn't consider it to be a major disappointment if they went 8-4 and four or 9-3 or and three next year either. Like, I, I, I think that's about the – I think that's a fair expectation for, for Navy as a service academy and what Coach Niatamalomo has done in his 12 years there. Yeah, no, I, I agree, and I'm always rooting for them. 
I mean, obviously my brother went there, so I've always been it's crazy for being in the Army. I've always been kind of a Navy fan, but maybe not so much a Navy fan, really just a triple option fan. I just yeah. love seeing a triple option at the co- collegiate level, especially in a conference like the AAC, seceding. I just freaking love it. Yeah, it's cool. It's always fun to watch teams run the wishbone. Uh, the service academies are always fun, and obviously some of the F- FCS teams run it that uh, are smaller programs, which has always attracted me, and I think, you know, from – you know, us being in high school and, and being around the triple so much is, is just, it makes it even that much more fun. So Brendan, I also, I, I want to have one other question outside of what team do you think has the most to prove? Which coach do you think will not be in the AAC next year? Who's the coach, whether he gets fired or gets another job or whatever you think, wh- who's the, who, in your opinion, who's the obvious candidate that, that you look at this, this conference and go, yeah, that coach yeah. isn't going to be there next year. Well, from a like a, a good side of thing, like the only person I can think about, I think this is gonna be a year of people just staying put. Mm-hmm. The only person is gonna be Luke Fickle, and that's either gonna take the USC job, or I mean, I don't know what people think about Ryan Day at the NFL level, but another year for Ohio State, if Ryan Day does ever decide to try the NFL level, Luke Fickle one percent is gonna get the first phone call to yeah. Ohio State. Oh, like, 100%. That's without question. Yeah. Without yeah. question. Yeah. Um, but from a the other side of the the ball and the coin flip, whatever you want to call it. Is Tulsa's coach, man, Philip Montgomery. I mean, you can't go four and eight and two and six in conference. I mean, you're two and six in conference, and guess what? You're playing nothing but conference games this year. Like, that's not bode well for Tulsa. So I think he's going to be on the hot seat. Fortunately for him, he's got nine players on offense coming back. It, also, to include, remember the one time Baylor transfer uh, quarterback, Zach Smith. Mm-hmm. He's coming back. He passed for over 3,300 yards last year, 19 TDs. Um, he's got to continue to develop. But that offense has nine players coming back. But that whole entire offense is coming back. So he's going to be on the hot seat more or less because he had a crappy year last year. But when you have everyone on offense coming back, we expect for you to be bowl eligible next year. Like, if Tulsa's not bowl eligible next year, then I think he's gone. Like, he is out yeah. of Tulsa. Bye. See you later. The, the crappy part for him, he's got three people <laughs> coming back on defense. So <laughs> offense is going to be explosive. Defense is going to suck. I personally think this team wins three, three or four games again next year, and he's out, man. I just, I can't see him winning six or seven games, not in a conference-only schedule. No. And we just talked about four, five, six teams that we think can be seven, eight, nine, ten, you know, team wins. Like, so I just, I can't see it for Tulsa. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. He obviously came in with a lot of hype as you know he was part of that Baylor offensive explosion, and and he really followed around Art Bryles all the way from you know high school to Houston to Baylor and. You know he was he was an architect of those amazing offenses, and he gets a head coach job at Tulsa, and just really hasn't done much with it. I mean, he went six and seven, and and made it to a bowl game his first year there. Then they went ten and three, and they won the a bowl game. And you're like, hey, yep. maybe things are starting to turn around. And then the last three years, they've gone two and ten, three and nine, and four and eight. And yeah, they might be technically increasing their wins each year the last three years, but still. Uh, I got to imagine this is a put up or shut up year. And I, who knows if even making a bowl game saves his, saves his uh, skin. I mean, it might, it might with just how crazy the circumstances are this year with everything that's going on, maybe making a bowl game and, and just everything that is surrounding the country and the, and the and college football saves them. But even then, I, I don't even know if that's, factual but if, if he doesn't make a bowl game regardless of what the circumstances are Brandon, yeah you're right he's he's gone um it's it's win or go home and and I think he's probably going to end up going home um now switch it over to 
what we love to talk about on this show, and that's prospects, you know, here at Prospects 101. And we w- each of us want to give one offense and one defensive prospect uh, that that fans of the AAC and, and fans of all college football need to be aware of this season. So, Brandon, why don't you give me one of each, and then I'll hop in after you. Okay. I'm going to get kind of quick because I think we're going to talk more of these guys in depth in our actual prospect breakdown. Mm-hmm. But the first guy is Houston. Uh, wide receiver Marquez Stevenson. He's six foot, one ninety, and they call him Speedy. I, I kind of think of the remember the the movie Friday. Hey, Smokey. Smokey. I always think about that when I when I yeah. hear him. I'm like, Hey, Speedy. <laughs> uh, but this guy's dynamic. I mean, he's explosive. He's extremely fast. I think he's going to run uh, four four speed when he's in the combine. Uh, for him, I mean, dude, that offense. I don't care who you were last year. Like that's just a, that was just a bad team last year and he only had 52 receptions 900 yards and that was coming off a year that everyone thought he was going to explode onto the scene because in mm-hmm. his sophomore year he caught 75 balls for over a thousand yards and nine tds um but dude again you, you don't lose Derek king you don't lose some people there on the offensive line and really that whole team just being on so much uh, i don't know just injury written and so forth like Houston was just bad, man. And, I mean, he accounted for 40% of the total receiving yards last year for Houston's offense. So I don't yeah. think it was any detriment to him. It's just he had not the surrounding cast that he's going to have this year, at least from an experience standpoint. Like a lot of guys are coming back. So hopefully that bumps his numbers up a little bit because we, we all know in the AAC and G5 teams, not only do you have to have, like, the, the skill set, the, the, the tools and everything, you got to have the production to go with it. And for him, he's he's had the production. He had a little bit of a dip last year. I would love to see him um, go back to his 2018 film and those stat line uh, this next year because I think he will absolutely be a good NFL prospect for next year. He also tore his ACL back in 2017. So I think there's probably some injury history there. He also broke his collarbone in 2016. So there's a few question marks about him. I think the scouts want to see him kind of stay healthy, duplicate what you did in 2018, and he's going to be a, a surefire uh, mm-hmm. draft pick in next year's NFL draft. Mm-hmm. Now – the guy that I love, and I, it's because I just talked crap, I guess, about Tulsa, um, but Patrick Johnson, he's probably one of the best defenders in the AAC. He's six foot three, 250. you got to love his size. He's, his sophomore year, he had over 10 sacks. He had 14.5 tackles for loss. And you look at him, dude, he's extremely fast. I mean, he was blowing past offensive tackles. I only think – I think I watched one play where he blew off the uh, defensive line, and I don't think the right tackle touched him, like didn't even touch him. But like he whipped completely, and he got to the quarterback. So you got to love from a skill set, a guy with that size, have that type of speed. He's got to develop a little bit in pass coverage. Um, but, you know, I mean, I feel like most people do when you're playing an edge rusher type of position. Uh, he plays to run pretty well. He can overcommit occasionally. But I think that's just due to his aggressiveness and the fact that you play for Tulsa, you kind of have to be. Uh, but he could also develop a counter move. Like, you can just see he purely uses his, his speed constantly. And I guess if you can get away with it, you don't really have to develop a counter move. But I think when you look at the next level of prospects, uh, hopefully the coaching staff can kind of help him get up a counter, kind of the inside move as well, because he kind of mm-hmm. just blows around the outside most of the time. But Patrick Johnson, I love him as a prospect. Keep developing. Um, and I think he could be, you know, kind of a mid-round prospect uh, going into his senior year next year. Yeah. Yeah, I like I like I like a lot of the film on both guys you brought up, Brandon. I was able to watch a little bit of uh, a limited amount of them, and I liked what I saw, especially the speed coming from Houston. He's a, definitely going to be a big asset 
for that offense to take the next step this year under Dana. So two of the guys I had, sticking with defense, Ifiane Maje, he's a defensive tackle from Temple, 6'2", 285 pounds. He's a little undersized, but I love the way this guy uses his hands and his leverage as an undersized DT. You know, he had 10.5 tackles for loss, 5.5 sacks, his first year starting at Temple last year as a sophomore, and I think he's only going to get better. His his motor and his technique are outstanding, which at 6'2", 285 as an interior lineman, they have to be. Like You're not getting away with having freakish size at that point. But just the way he's able to get off blocks, he's able to shed blocks. He was, and, and believe it or not, even with Quincy Roche last year, some of the film I watched on him, he's getting double teamed on the interior. And I don't know if – you know, I think at the same time, I think they both benefited each other. I know Roche got a lot of the publicity for having 13 sacks, and he was AAC Defensive Player of the Year, and I get it. The credentials were there, and that's a fair – that wasn't – it's not like I'm arguing against that he shouldn't have been AAC Player of the Year. But I also think a lot he was able to do a lot of that stuff because you had Ifeane just absolutely causing – chaos in the middle of the uh, deep of the defensive line there so I'm really excited to see what he does and 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 now that he's going to be the focal point of that D line it should be interesting to see you know how good is he getting off double teams because he's going to see a lot of them this year and then offensively DeMonte Coxey wide receiver out of out of Memphis a I saw this guy in person absolutely torch Wake Forest in the Birmingham Bowl a couple years ago uh, just an absolute talented receiver doesn't have the greatest athleticism. Like, he's not a guy who's going to go out there and run a 4-4. Uh, he's not going to go out there and run the fastest three-cone drill. He's 6'3", 200 pounds. He's got great size, but he's just not a freak athlete. But the one thing he knows how to do is create separation with extremely polished route running. He might be the, one of the best route runners in all of college football. I mean, this guy does not waste a single step when you watch his film. His footwork at beating jams, getting off the line, is absolutely incredible. He's able to find he's, – he's so good at reading zones. Like, he's able to find the soft spot in the zone and just sit there and make it extremely easy – for Brady White to find him in zone coverage. I mean, everything this guy does is just super, super polished. And I think he's someone, you know, the numbers are there. He had 72 and 76 receptions his sophomore and junior season with 1,175 yards and 1,275 yards for 16 yards of catch, seven touchdowns and nine touchdowns. I mean, he, the production's there. This guy knows how to play receiver. He's not going to be a super high draft pick, one, because this is a, a extremely deep, NFL draft but this is a guy I wouldn't be surprised if you see him end up as the number two wide receiver on an NFL offense and he has 80 catches for 1100 yards and like six touchdowns and you're like what like where did this guy come from and you just he's just solid he's just a solid receiver and so I like him a lot I think he's a guy to keep an eye on and he's a guy who if Memphis is going to be successful in offense Brady White needs DeMonte Coxie to be the stud he's been the last two years, which I don't see any reason why he can't. Yeah, no, I agree. I can't wait to keep breaking down these guys, man. Like I, I love watching their films. So please stay tuned to our next episode on Wednesday. We really break down even more of the AAC and the prospects uh, for the next yep. year's NFL draft. Well, as we start to wrap up this preview, I want to go over just some must-see games that caught my eye. And I think there's three games that very well could determine who's going to be playing in the AAC championship. Obviously, we talked about, you know, there's no East, or there's no 
there's there might be divisions, but there's no like the winner of the East plays the winner of the West and the AAC. That's not how it works. The number one team plays the number two team in in the in the championship. So, it, you know, for me, I think October first, Memphis at SMU is a huge game. If SMU wants to get over the hump and compete for an AAC championship, they have to write the loss that they experienced at Memphis last year. And, and, and like we talked about earlier, if there's a year to catch Memphis off guard, it's the year when they have a coaching change, where they've lost their, their stud coach in Mike Norvell. The next game, I think, is Memphis at Cincinnati. If Memphis can get past SMU, they're going to be on the fast track to once again repeating as AAC champions. And they beat Cincinnati Back-to-back weeks last year, the last game of the season, and in the AAC Championship. This is probably another preview of the AAC Championship. And whoever wins this game, if they're both, say, undefeated going into it, is probably going to at least, if they win, guarantee themselves a spot in the AAC Championship because uh, through virtue of a tiebreaker. And then, of course, Cincinnati at UCF on November 21st. Cincinnati's beaten UCF the last two seasons. Um, this is this is the 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 clash of probably the best offense in the in the conference versus Pastel put it the best defense in the conference and again very well could be a preview of the AAC championship especially if both teams are coming in undefeated in conference play which wouldn't be a surprise and this late in the season a loss isn't probably going to torpedo your AAC championship chances, at least they've appearing in it, because you will have probably beaten all the other big dogs on the schedule. So those are the three biggest games, in my opinion. Now, I want to pivot to rapid-fire questions as we roll out here. So what I want to hear, no explanations. I just want to go ahead and rip and run. I know we say that every time. We always find a way to explain stuff, but we're, we mean it this time. No explanations. Right. We're going to do, do rapid-fire, and we're going to go into it. So, Brandon, who is your offensive player of the year? Kenneth Gainwell. I say Shane Bouchelle. Who is Monk. who is your defensive player of the year? Uh, Richie Grant. I had the same one actually. Uh, which yeah, might sure. actually this is an explanation, but just note that down. That might be the first time we've ever agreed on anything. <laughs> then uh, I disagree. But, <laughs> yeah, you're gonna change yours now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I yeah, but I I don't I think it's pretty I think it's pretty that's a pretty easy one. And coach of the year. I think Luke Bickle. Sonny Dykes. Man, you're all about SMU, aren't you? Man? I dude, I think SMU is gonna be absolutely incredible this year. You just I, like their uniforms, man. Dude, they have the <laughs> those those Dallas. They have the cleanest uniforms in all of college football for sure. Oh, but man. man, did you? Well, here's what's cool though too. Shane, so um, Shane Bouchelle was the cover. He was on the cover of the Dallas, or sorry, Dallas of the Texas football preview magazine this year. Like. That's huge. That's huge, man. That's (laughs) massive. Like that's like he's the first guy to ever make it from a G five program onto that. I mean, because usually it's somebody from Texas or somebody from Texas A and M or some like high school recruit like Adrian Peterson was. You know, stuff like that. And for him to make it as the the cover the cover guy for that magazine, arguably is like 
the biggest college football preview magazine in the country, which sounds ridiculous because it's only Texas, but it covers Texas high school football, Texas college football, and then any, I mean, it covers all football, even the Dallas Cowboys, Houston, Texas. It covers all of Texas football, and he made the cover of it. So, Well, I love the fact that he made it over uh, Sam Ellinger from Texas, the guy that he lost the battle to dude, to go that, to SMU. That's what I'm saying, man. I'm telling you, this kid is for real, dude. I'm, I'm a big fan of Shane Buscelli, and I think I think – He's he's the real deal, man. I know a lot of guys are high on Br- Dylan Gabriel and Brady White, and 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 very so, and very very appropriate. But I think Shane Buscelli is the best quarterback in the AAC, and I think he's I think what he did last year is going to be even he's going to be even more incredible this year. And the talent he has around him on that offense, yes, sir, it's going to be insane. So I need college football, man. I need to watch this. I'm getting jacked up right now. <laughs> I need it, man. I need it. I need a nice long Saturday where I watch college football from noon. Well, really 9 a.m. Uh, because of college game, game day. day, and then all the way to Pac-12 after dark, so like 2 a.m. That's the best thing about being on the East Coast is we get football from 9 a.m. to 2 a.m. on Saturday. Yes, sir. So, yes, sir. Well, that'll wrap up the AAC preview show. We appreciate everybody listening. You can follow and interact with the show on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, at Prospects101. We're always posting throughout the week. And we also have a $50 Fanatics giveaway that we're doing. Basically, what you want to do is go on our social media platforms, like I just mentioned, look at the, the what you have to do because they vary per social media. But, for, for instance, I'll give you the example on Twitter. If you retweet and follow us on Twitter and subscribe, re- retweet the post, follow us on Twitter, and subscribe to the show, the podcast, you will be automatically entered in to win basically an item up to $50 from Fanatics that we'll purchase for you. So essentially you'll figure out what you want, we'll purchase it, ship it to you, and you'll have an item worth up to $50 that you pick out. And the same goes for Instagram and Facebook. So look for those posts, read the instructions, go ahead and do that, share it with your friends, get the news out there. We want to give somebody $50, uh, a gift of $50 that you pick out. So, And you can listen to us on all your favorite podcast platforms. Wherever you listen to podcasts, we're on it. Make sure to subscribe to stay up to date with all of our episodes. A lot of interviews coming up, more great content, more great previews. Make sure to give us a five-star review as well. We really appreciate you helping us spread the word. And for recently engaged, Brandon Glessner, for my co-host today, Brandon Pastel, and myself, Kenny Keller, have a great week.